It's great to be with you today. Good morning. So it is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, grandfathers out there. And uh, we have a gift for you. We have some ushers that are going to pass out. Um, today's text is in 1 Corinthians, and it's a giant adventure in missing the point. They get caught up and distracted on, um, focused on this meat that's sacrificed to idols. So we felt it appropriate for everyone to get a Slim Jim and to, and to hold the meat. Yeah, we can go ahead and pass them out. Everyone take one, not just the fathers. Everyone needs to snap into a Slim Jim. And um, because, see, it's so easy in life to miss the point. I remember in my English uh, class at LSU, my professor was saying, you know, why do we get distracted so easily? I was like, we're like goldfish. And he's like, what do you mean you're like goldfish? I said, how do you think goldfish stay content in a bowl all the time? They have short-term memory of two seconds. He's like, have you tested that hypothesis? And I was like, well, the goldfish didn't get back to me yet. He forgot. And um, <clears throat> okay, thank you. And so we are just so short-term driven, and we just we're like butterflies. We're chasing them, and we get distracted. And the church in Corinth, Paul's heart is breaking for them. We have seen the dysfunction, we have seen the battles, we have seen the trials they are going through, the ups, the downs, the ebbs, the flows, and he wants to say, don't miss the point. And in our text today where we start, he's like, look, it's not about meat. It's not about Slim Jims. It's not about Slim Jims. It's not about meat. It's not, don't miss the point. This, these issues that you're looking at, uh, in 1 Corinthians 8 through 11, and we're going we're gonna to look at a few verses. I'm going to give you some key highlights, really some food for thought for you, no pun intended on the food for thought, but for, to take away, and I really want to highlight the spiritual marks of maturity because what Paul's doing is he goes through these texts. He's like, look, 1 Corinthians 1 through 6, it was all about orthodoxy, right belief. Chapter 7 and following is all about orthopraxy, right belief action, right living, right? Okay, so ortho means right or straight. Doxy is belief. Praxy is practice. So Paul does this in all of his letters. Ephesians 1 through 3 is doctrine. 4 through 6, duty. Romans 1 through 11, position. 12 through 16, practice. He lays the foundation for who we are in Christ. Position, then practice. Doctrine, then duty. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. Because you cannot live right if you don't know who you are. Right living flows out of right being. Understanding, I'm a child of God. So what did he do? All one through six. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. You're a son of God. You're a daughter. You're forgiven. You're a saint. You're a child. You don't have to do the things that you used to do because you're no longer a person that you used to be. Ephesians 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians 1 through 6, that was biology 1001. That was chemistry 1001. But now it's time to get into the lab. It's time to dissect the frogs. It's time to burn something, blow something up. It's time to dissect, cut. It is no longer biology 1001. It's lab time. And that's where Paul makes this transition, and he wants to show right living. But never think that it's about doing before being. It's never practice before position. It's never duty before doctrine. Get the order right because one degree off your trajectory, you'll miss the mark completely. So we're going to go through these chapters and look at these different marks for right living. We've already laid the foundation of orthodoxy. Now we're going to look at what orthopraxy. And don't miss the point because they were missing the point with meat. 
the Slim Jims, or just a reminder, don't miss the point of what truly matters, of what's most important, of what's ultimate and what's primary. What's ultimate is that we glorify God and the spiritually mature limits for the sake of others. That's what we see in chapter 8. And there's three points, and we're not going to get into all of these. I'll, I'll fly through and highlight a couple, but they choose love over, and when I use that word knowledge there, I'm talking the bad knowledge where you think you know everything. That's why I say arrogance as well. Chooses relationships over rights, that it's not about me. It's about me loving others and living for the glory of God. And chooses making a difference over making a point. It's not about winning an argument if you lose a friend. It is about choosing love over knowledge, relationships over rights, and making a difference over making a point. We jumped into chapter 8. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. And he, and he puts this in quotes, right? All of us possess knowledge. Because he's quoting them and responding to them. Remember, 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians. He's already written to them. They've responded back. He's writing to them again. There was discourse. There was give and take. There was back and forth. And he's responding with what they're, the issues that they brought up. And when he, he'll do this, he'll put it in quotes. And he'll put it in quotes. And he's like, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, though, it puffs up. Love builds up. So he's saying, you think you know everything. What really matters is love. If you know anything, you'll know that love matters. So he just sets it off straight. Love is the ethic that is to guide this conversation. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. What he's saying is there's, there's what you know that you know. There's that what you know that you don't know. And there's that which you don't even know that you don't even know. And you think you know everything and you're being arrogant. You, oh, I know this. It's wrong. He's like, you just made a freedom issue a moral issue. And we're going to hit on that theme all throughout 1 Corinthians. There's right and wrong issues. That's morality. Then there's what we call freedom issues, wise or unwise. See, this is where legalism creeps into the church, is when you try to make freedom issues moral issues. People will try to say, a tattoo is a moral issue. People will try to say voting Republican or Democrat or Libertarian is a moral issue. People will try to say having a glass of wine or dancing or going to Buffalo Brew Pub because it has the name bar or pub in it is a moral issue. Those are freedom issues. And the church in Corinth was taking freedom issues and making them moral issues. And that's legalism. And that's not guided by love. It's not guided by truth. It's guided by your own knowledge of what you think is right and wrong. And that's always dangerous to be on the wrong side of history. Had a guy come in a year ago and he was telling me about this and that and about what they were doing and who they were bringing in. And, and I said, well, you know that you hold the minority position of all evangelical Christians. Like you're not even less than 1%. You're less than 0.000001%. He's like, but I'm right. And I'm like, man. That's a scary place to be, to be that dogmatic when this many people disagree with you and the counsel of God disagrees with you. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Paul's saying, this is what, you want to talk about knowledge? It's about loving him and loving others, and that is the knowledge that matters, is being known by him, not what we think we know. Get into the chemistry lab. Get out of the ethereal and get into the real-life practice. And what really matters is not this debate, you're wrong and I'm right, but the chemistry lab is working out our faith 
integrating what we believe in how we live. And it's not about being arrogant. It's not about saying you're wrong. It is about me loving you and loving differences. It was funny. Someone was like, oh, yeah, well, he voted, he voted for President Obama. He can't be a Christian. It was funny because the spiritual leader in this church in that conversation was like, well, I voted for President Obama as well. What are you saying? And it's just like when we start going into those areas that are completely non-moral, and, we, and I, get, I get that there are issues in each party's platforms that are moral, like the right to life and, and the sanctity of marriage. That's not what I'm addressing, okay? We are in dangerous ground of ascribing right and wrong and playing God. And Paul is addressing this issue with the Slim Jims, with the meat sacrificed to idol, and he's going to get into it, and he's like, you're missing the point. Therefore, as to eating a food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and there is no God but one. He's like, it's, that, that idol's not even real. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, right, that people pray, but it's lowercase, they're not real. Yet there is one God, the Father from whom all things, for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all are all things and through whom we exist. This is truth. It doesn't matter what I feel about a situation. This is truth. In Buffalo, the sun rises very early in the summer, right? And it sets very late. And, you know, like during the school year, our kids are in bed 7, 7.30. And, and, you know, it's a struggle to get Kennedy up at any point in time. Um, she loves sleep. But the boys are roosters. And especially during the summer, like today, Jude, I hear the pitter-patter, and jumps over the baby gate and just runs, runs in there. And it's 5.45. He's like, Daddy, it's time to get up. And we have this thing like, no, no, you, you get up at like 7, 7.30. So I was like, well, what time is it? Say on the clock, Jude. He's like, oh, it's 8 o'clock. I'm like, okay, that may be how you're reading that 5 there, but there's a little line missing. It's, it's really 8 o'clock. It's not 8 o'clock. It's, oh, my gosh, I don't even know what time it is. I'm tired. Jude, come lay with me. So he lays for 10 minutes. All right, Daddy, it's 9 o'clock. And I'm like, all right. I know time is moving very slow for you right now because I'm snoring beside you, what have you. But this is the deal. It's not 9 o'clock, okay? It's 5.55, and I want to go back to sleep because I'm tired. And, look, we do this all the time that we have a feeling. (laughs) I can feel like that wall is red all day long. I can misperceive it. It doesn't change reality. This is truth. There is one God, the Father, from whom all things are created. That is truth. And Paul is saying, this is truth regardless what you feel about the meat. And he's like, you're missing the point. It's not about Slim Jims. It's about Jesus Christ. However, not all possess this knowledge. Okay, but some through former association with idols eat food is really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. So he's like, some cannot do it. Some cannot eat the food to idols. But if you're hungry... And this doesn't really make sense to us because 2,000 years ago, a lot of food was sacrificed to foreign gods. And that food was not thrown out. It was then sold and people could buy it very cheaply and then would eat it. And if you're poor or if you're hungry or whatever the case may be, would you discriminate against that food if you were hungry? Death or eat it? So they're buying this food and people in the church are saying, that's wrong. It was sacrificed to another god. And Paul's like, "There's there's only one god. That's truth. But if you can't eat it, okay, I get it. Food will not commend us to God. We're not worse off if we do not eat. We're not better off if we do. See, it's a freedom issue. And you're making it a moral issue. Don't do that. It's not about 
having a tattoo or having a glass of wine. You're making Christianity rules that Jesus Christ didn't even put. And that's what the Pharisees tried to do. Your guys didn't wash their hands. They helped someone on the Sabbath. We, we always want to add these rules because it makes us feel approved before God. Because we feel much better. Okay, God, I did check. I didn't do check. I did check. I didn't do check. I'm a good boy and you love me. We approve ourselves before God by what we do or don't do. And that's called legalism. That is called a works-based faith where we're trying to earn God's favor. And Christianity is the opposite. He loves us, not because of us, but because of his mercy and grace. It's what he did, not what we could ever do to earn his favor. All we did is get lost. And he loves us and calls us his children. So it's not about whether you eat or don't eat or vote or don't vote or have a glass of wine or not or get a tattoo or not or dance or not. Don't miss the point. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Now this is important and we'll unpack this about being sensitive to others. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? So he's like, Okay, what about others in sensitivity? There is a responsibility here. So it's not that we disregard others in our actions. So by your knowledge, this weak person has destroyed the brother from whom Christ died. So he paints this hypothetical scenario. If someone sees you eating that food and you know it's offensive to them, then you don't do it. Then you don't do it. But like the great commentary uh, writer D.A. Carson said, and Fee, in their commentary on Corinthians and in Galatians on these similar issues, this is not you living in a spirit of fear that if you're out somewhere and you know that someone doesn't eat shellfish or, or you know that someone would be offended if you, if you had a glass of wine. Now, if you see them in that restaurant and you know that's a stumbling block because they used to be an alcoholic or they don't want shellfish or whatever the case may be, and it's going to be an offense to them and cause them to stumble then you don't order it because freedom goes both ways. You're free to order it. You're free not to order it. Freedom, see, immature freedom says, well, I'm free to do it and I'm going to do it and I don't care about you. Mature freedom says, I care about you. And if this is an issue, then I'll just do it later because it's not a big deal. I can do it in the privacy of my own home. I can eat shrimp later or whatever the case may be. Or if, if you had someone that was just so grossly offended, even if they're making it a wrong issue, because Paul acknowledges they're the ones that are weak. And so be careful if you're going to run around saying, hey, this bothers me, because Paul would then say, you're the weaker brother. You see what I'm saying? So by admitting you have a problem with this, if you're 78 years old and have been walking with the Lord for 50 years, that could be a problem that you haven't worked to a point of maturity in those areas. If you're 28 years old and you have that, it's a problem as well. That Paul's saying, you're the weaker brother. Okay, so we want to be sensitive. Now, if I'm in a restaurant and I have no clue who's in there, I have no clue that Barb doesn't want to see me have a glass of wine, and I have a glass of wine, and she's like, I'm offended, and I didn't intentionally cause offense, then that's not my issue. She comes to me, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. I would be much more sensitive. But I can't live in fear of what might be. It's only if I intentionally have knowledge of what is. And then I do so in that freedom exercise and I cause an offense. That's not love. That's not doing what's best for the weaker 
brother for the weaker sister. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. He's like, don't do this. Don't do this. Your freedom will become a moral issue if you flaunt it and you rub it in their face. That's when the freedom issue becomes a moral issue if you're insensitive and you're selfish. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Because the conclusion that he goes to, and he says the same thing in Romans, he said the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, it's to the glory of God. He said, I'm free. For freedom, Christ set us free. And in 1 Corinthians 9, we're going to look at it. He's like, but man, I want to reach people. And I'm not going to put my freedom above reaching people. It's not more important. It's to God's glory. I'm not going to make people stumble. That's maturity. That's maturity. The spiritually mature limits for the sake of the gospel, and that's what I'm referencing in chapter 9 here chooses to communicate the gospel, chooses to contextualize the gospel, and chooses to be changed by the gospel. Now, we are not looking at all those verses. We're going to look at one little set of those in chapter 9, verse 19. But if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Chooses to communicate the gospel, 14 through 18. Contextualize the gospel, 19 through 23. And chooses to be changed by the gospel, 24 through 27. We're just going to do the contextualization because I think this is so important because I think this is one area where we as Christians struggle, where I struggle, where we don't know how to integrate the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy, what we believe and how we live in the marketplace, in the work environment. And we don't know how, how do we live out the gospel? How do we live out the gospel? For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. We always say, is it discipleship or missions? Is it the church or is it the lost? Why do we boil things down into either or propositions? It's not either or, it's both and. Paul right here is writing the church saying, man, I become a servant to all so that I might win more. And he's like, I'm free from all. What does that mean, I'm free from all? How did Paul open all of his letters? I'm a bondservant to Christ. I'm a bondservant to Christ. I'm a slave to Christ. I'm a servant to Christ. He was only bound to Christ. But he said, I make myself a servant. For what? Purpose. So that I might win more of them. Man, is that our heart to contextualize. And look, he fleshes it out on what it looks like. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I'll become as one under the law, though not myself being under the law. He just has to parenthetical clarify that, right, for all the legalizers. That I might win those under the law. So those outside the law became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law, but under the law of Christ. And that's the law of love. That I might win those outside the law. So what, is this, what does he mean to the Jew like the Jew and to the Greek like the Greek? And to the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. That by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel. That I may share with them in its blessings. Paul is not merely talking about the spoken gospel. He's talking about how we live the gospel. And to the weak he becomes like the weak. That does not mean that to the Jew he's going to go sin and compromise morality. He is going to be sensitive culturally. He is going, if he was ministering to someone from 
Mexico. He wouldn't be like, learn English and then I'll minister to you. Okay? You adapt to me. It's about me. No, Paul was a servant to him. He's like, okay, I'm going to learn Spanish. Or as Kennedy says, Mexican. I'm going to learn Spanish and I'm going to meet your needs and love you. And down in Mexico, they have the best breakfasts in the world. So I'd love to contextualize big eggs and everything comes in. And so, yeah, let's contextualize the gospel over breakfast, right? And, um, but you're being sensitive. And can you imagine going into their culture and saying, well, I'm from New York. I'm from Buffalo. And this is how we do it. You're in their country. Man, whatever you want to serve for breakfast sounds great this morning. Now, that's dangerous sometimes, okay? I was telling someone this week, I've eaten some crazy things throughout the world, and you just pray, and you just pray, and you just pray a little bit more, and you hope there's a bathroom nearby sometimes. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, but we went to this one out, um, remote village in this one country. It was like a 10-hour train ride, and then a 10-hour bus ride, and then a 10-hour Jeep ride. That's how far it was to get to this one village. They had never seen white people in their life, and we went there, and they had the biggest goat on a spick roasting over the fire. And they were like, this was our town's only goat, and we cooked it for y'all. We were like, awesome. It was the worst thing I'd ever tasted in my life. But you know how much of that goat I had to eat? It was their only goat, and they cooked it for us. You know, and the great thing was, like, we preached all day long. That goat was there that night. That goat was there the next day. Just sitting outside, no refrigeration needed. Just take you a knife, go cut you a little piece, and help yourself. It just gets better with time, like that Slim Jim. And, uh, you know, and uh, it's just bad. I mean, my, my brother went to a house once where they, he, they are like, we bought the, the, the best we could afford. And it was a dog in a pot with his feet coming out of the pot still. And the bad news is they had it for dinner. They left the pot there. It was breakfast the next morning in the pot. You know, just cut you a little piece off of Sparky. Sorry. And, and I mean, my brother was like, what do you not, what do you do? Like, but and when you're contextualizing the gospel, what is, I do it for the sake, he's not saying I sin. Well, this girl wanted me to have, you know, extramarital relations so I could win her to the Lord. No, come on. We're not talking about something stupid, immorality. We're talking about cultural sensitivities. We're talking about a, a adapting into people's culture, being sensitive to the weak, to, you know, what, what if someone came up here and was like, I love the New England Patriots, and that's all he talked about was the New England Patriots. Who likes the New England Patriots? I don't even think people from Boston like the New England Patriots. And if you do, I feel sorry for you, right? And, I mean, but if, I mean, if you talked about how Tom Brady was the best quarterback ever, it, that would, I'm not saying that's a right or wrong issue. You're just kind of stupid. You know what I'm saying? And so, <laughs> and so it's, you get, you get, it's, it's, a, it's a wise, unwise issue. That's not the smartest thing you could do. If you went into an area that really, 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 really venerated whatever. Now, if it was idolatry, then Paul would point it out and Paul would call it out. But if it was just a cultural value and it was something that was important to them and you weren't respectful of that, and you're like, y'all, you know, you're not going to do yourself any favors. How do we, how do we to the weak become weak that we might win the weak? How do we do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them and its blessings? How are we doing that? 
that may mean you learn to eat some cuisine, even here in Buffalo, because there's tons of ethnic groups that are represented here. Are we living in our little bubble, or are we stepping out and branching out? Are we learning about our coworkers, and they may love going to Bison's games, and you hate going to Bison's games, but what an opportunity to go, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go to the Bison's game. And you're, under your breath, you're like, not because I want to go watch the Bison's necessarily, but I want to be with you, right? And if that's something that you have to do to win relationships and to invest in people, there's, there's, there's you know, if you help someone mow their grass, you know, I hate mowing my own grass. I don't want to mow my grass, but I'm serving them. Paul said, I've become a servant to all. Is that our heart? To contextualize and to make it fit in ways that bless people and minister to people. We move on to chapter 10. The spiritually mature is dependent on the Lord. Choose to learn from others' mistakes. Choose to be teachable. And chooses to trust in God's faithfulness. Now this is a really powerful text here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm excited to look at this with you. Um, It's one of my favorite texts. Because when you think about these verses, and I'll read them earlier in Paul t- in chapter 10. Oh, sorry. There we go. Paul's talking about the examples of people in the Old Testament. People that didn't, it didn't work out so well for them. People that it did work out well for them. But these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. You know, I mean, he's like, These things happened to them as an example, for they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Paul is saying, look, don't repeat the past. If you don't learn from it, you're going to repeat it. We hear that statement all the time. He's like, learn from it, learn from it, learn from it. I'll never forget, I was in third grade, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Chuck Norris, like guy movies were at an all-time high. And I think like in every one of those like guy movies, one of them would slide down a rope, right? You know, with his bare hands and then go beat up 15 million people. And I remember I had this like most amazing treehouse. It was seriously like 30 feet tall, three stories. So I found this rope in my dad's garage. I tied it at the top of the treehouse because we had a trap door from the bottom that went all the way down. But that was for the slide that you were supposed to do. I said, forget the slide. I'm going to go down the rope. Eight years old, I go down the rope that is not a rope for sliding down with hands. Let's just say about 10 feet down that rope, I wanted to let go, but I was still 20 feet too high. By the time I got to the bottom, I had second degree burns on both of my hands. And I was like, man, this really hurts. My dad being a physician, mom comes and grabs me, hears me screaming from the backyard, takes me up there. He's like, boy, what do you think? I was like, well, they did it on TV. He's like, all right, that's, that's good. That's that's, that's awesome. He said, maybe they had gloves on or maybe they had a rope that didn't, you know, do this. And, but it was funny because, you know, with Jackson and Jude, his, it repeated itself. They, the other day, there's this rope swing in this tree in our backyard. And they're like, I want to slide down it. And I was like, all right, let me tell you a little story. And these things happen as an example, written down for our instruction. You want to learn. You don't want, Jackson, you don't want to do that. That was really, really, really painful for me. You want to learn. Do we learn from others? And the challenge to be teachable in in verse 12, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. 
What's the word between standing and falling? Now, this imagery is strong. Someone's standing, and then he's falling. We are to take heed. What are we to take heed? If anyone who thinks that he stands, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed. If you are arrogant, if you are confident, if you are not learning from the past, if you are not teachable, there is just one phrase between standing and falling, and it is take heed. Because we live in a crazy world. And I know that I'm giving you all these different points from chapter 8 and chapter 9, but I'm trying to give you these nuggets from each of them, these different principles, these different marks of maturity. And this is one of the strongest ones about a teachable spirit, a humble spirit, one that says there is not a lot of separation between standing and falling except for taking heed. How are you taking heed? How am I taking heed? Do we have men in our life? Do we have women in our life that we talk to, that mentor us, that we share with, that we process with, that we say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Help me. Give me a teachable spirit. But if we try to fake it till we make it, if we're arrogant, if we're proud, if we live in isolation, we'll get picked off one by one. We'll get picked off. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So Paul is telling the church in Corinth, look, these are the marks of maturity. This is, I have told you who you are in Christ. Now I'm telling you how to get into the chemistry lab and to live it out. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. And we go through the different points in chapter 8 about loving others more than than you love me. Don't miss the point. And in chapter 9 about contextualizing the gospel, loving people so much that you serve them. And then in chapter 10 about you having a teachable, humble spirit, knowing that there is temptation all around us. And we have the example of others before us. And we need to take heed between standing and falling, knowing that God is faithful and that the temptations that we have, I have them, Dan has them, we all have them. But God is faithful. God is faithful. Will you draw near to him? Will you submit to God and resist the devil? For he will flee from you. The last passage in chapter 10 that I want to look at is, is just really a summary from the Apostle Paul where he says, choose to live for the good of others. Choose to do all for the glory of God and choose to follow the example of Christ. These are the marks of maturity. Maturity, the spiritually mature lives in freedom. For freedom, Christ sets you free. And that's not a freedom to do what I want. It is a freedom to love and to live to the glory of God. In chapter 10, verse 23, all things are lawful. He's quoting them. Okay, they've used this. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. See, you'll hear Christians run around saying this. Well, it's, 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 it's uh, permissible, but it's not beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. He's quoting them, saying all things are lawful, but then he says his words, but not all are, not all are helpful. And they'd say, well, it's lawful. I can do it. But does it build up is the question. Does it build up? Let no one seek his own good. Does this mean that we live depraved, you know, these deprived lives where we're ascetics? Look, no, he's not saying that you can't have fun or smile or do things that you enjoy. 
He's talking about in relation to others, the way that we interact with the family of God is that we're servants and we're not selfish. That it's not about me, 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 and what I want. But what if everyone in this room sought the good of the other? What if everyone in this room said, I love you, how can I bless you? How can I care for you? How can I serve you? Now that's challenging because we're us and we're imperfect just like all believers. We're works in progress. But there should be growth. And Paul's saying this is a movement to maturity is that we learn to find the good in others. Let no one seek his own good. But how can I bless you? How can I serve you? How can I help you? There are so many servants in this church that they just, they, I mean, they don't want any recognition. If I called out their names, they, it would ruin it for them because that's what they pride themselves on. In a good way, pride themselves on. They just want to be behind the scenes, blessing, loving, serving. And then there's a whole lot of us as well that we need to learn from that example. It's how some of us are bent and how some of us aren't bent in personality, but some of it's also sinfulness and righteousness. And we need to be open to the Lord to say, Lord, do I think about others? Because Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but humility consider others better than yourself. Not merely looking out to your own interest, but to the interest of others. And then in verse 5, he says, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And he extols the example of Christ. And that's exactly what, what Paul does here. He says, whatever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about his glory in imitating the example. Give no offense to the Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Don't be offensive. It's about God's glory. But understand, just as I try to please everyone and everything, I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that we, that they may be saved. He's still fighting for the loss. And the ultimate example, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I love how he concludes here. And you're like, well, he's just beginning chapter 11. Well, remember that people added those numbers and stuff later. For me, it, it was really a conclusion of everything that he was saying. Because he's saying, be sensitive be loving, be forgiving, contextualize the gospel. It's not about Slim Jims, okay? He's saying love others, serve others, be sensitive to others. Learn how to adapt into people's life and to contextualize into people's lives. And if you think it's, it's I'm an example, he's like, all I'm trying to do is follow the example of Christ. Christ is the ultimate example. So when we think about orthodoxy and orthopraxy, when we think about right belief and right living, Right living flows from Christ, the example of Christ. And Paul's like, hey, I'm just in pursuit of Christ. So I'm doing the best I can as I pursue Christ. Imitate me. And we'll encourage one another. But this is so important as we prepare for communion today. As we prepare for communion, as those that come up that will be serving. There's a lot of different points we went through. If anybody wants the PowerPoint, you can email me and I'll send you the slides because there's a lot to unpack there. And it's always a danger when you try to cover eight chapters 8, 9, and 10. But I challenge you to think through, if you close your eyes with me, close your eyes, bow your heads. As we prepare for communion, we tackled quite a few different verses. In chapter 8, looking at 
How do we choose love over being right? How do we choose loving others in relationships over winning and losing a friend? It's not about what you can or can't do in your own freedoms, because freedom goes both ways. And just as the mature need to be sensitive to the weak, the weak need to grow up and be mature. What's your application there? Do a takeaway in your heart right now. Think about that from chapter 8. In chapter 9, it was about contextualizing the gospel. To the weak, Paul became weak. To the strong, Paul became strong. To the Jew, he became like the Jew. To the Greek, he became like the Greek. What are you doing to build relationships with your friends? What are you doing to build relationships, to build bridges with coworkers and neighbors? Because Paul was driven and said he made himself a servant. Oh, well, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not an apostle. We don't get the luxury to pick and choose truth. Okay, it doesn't matter what time Jude thinks it is. It's, it's 545. We don't pick truth. God determines truth. We obey. What are you doing to contextualize the gospel? What am I doing to contextualize the gospel and to live on mission with God? In chapter 10, thinking through the different points of loving others and serving others and being having a teachable spirit as we pursue Christ and taking heed lest we fall. Between standing and falling, we must take heed. What are the areas of your life that you need to invite someone in and to walk with and to talk with you in? And draw near to God for he is faithful. Draw near to God for he is faithful. And then the last two points of It's all about God's glory. This church is not my church, your church. It is Christ's church. We are baptized by the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is about Jesus Christ. It is to his praise and to his glory. Do we live for his praise and his glory? Or do we live for our preferences? What we want? Or do we say, I want God to be glorified. In the ultimate application, imitate Christ. Lord Jesus, as we think through these powerful verses and the different marks of maturity, we want to move to maturity. We don't want to miss the point. We don't want to get distracted and get focused on Slim Jims and and food sacrificed to idols. We don't want to miss the point. We want to know who you are, enjoy you, and live out our faith for your name and your glory as we move to maturity and how we interact with you and how we interact with others, how we love and how we serve. So as we partake of communion now, I pray that you would continue to minister your Holy Spirit to us and just teach us and guide us and lead us into these truths. We love you so much, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.